Yeah, really excited for our uh, Good for the City uh, series. I'm, I'm just asking uh, God to do some good things in us and to really help us to, to understand uh, uh, his heart for the city and uh, for those of you guys who are new to understand a little bit about our heart uh, for the city. And so Jeremiah 29, you want to go there? Jeremiah 29 uh, verses 1 through 14 is where we're going to be today. We do have Bibles provided. If you don't have one of your own, it's page 555. Jeremiah 29, 1 through 14. While you're turning there, let me, um, let me just tell you a little bit about us. And by us, I mean uh, the church and uh, my family and how we uh, came to uh, the city here. Back in 2008, my wife and I had uh, just finished building a house and also having a baby. Um, she did all that. Um, I was just there to support and cheer her on and breathe with her. But uh, 2008, we had a baby, moved into a house in central Massachusetts, and uh, it was on 1.8 acres of land. Uh, it was all we would have ever wanted in a house. We thought we were good. We were there for the long haul. Uh, it was on the backside of a ski mountain. Um, it was just a perfect opportunity for a guy like me who was a snowboarder, so I had a season pass, was there all the time, had big dreams of teaching my son at least once a week to go ski up there with me. Uh, we had a thriving ministry there. Uh, God was just blowing it up in a good way. I mean, just some really great things uh, were happening. It was one of the fastest growing churches in New England at the time. Uh, we had a strong, strong network of friends, and God was just doing uh, wonderful things and had really supported us. Our friends were all having babies alongside of us and building houses alongside of us, and it just seemed like we were going to be there uh, for a very, very long time. Everybody assumed that. Uh, we also uh, assumed that but something started to kind of change, and that was when my wife and I would come to the city to visit and to hang out, as so many people do. We were only about an hour west. Uh, it seemed like every time we came to the city, um, we, we kind of related with the Apostle Paul, who in Acts chapter 17, when he's in Athens, it says that his spirit was provoked within him. And we'd come to the city and other New England cities, and it felt like something was stirring in our heart. And I, I literally would feel myself breathing heavy and saying, oh man, what is... What is going on here? And uh, getting a little nervous by it, but my spirit was provoked uh, within me. And uh, I tell you, it was, it was kind of crazy what God was doing in our heart. And, and he started to really stir up in us a love for the city and a unique burden for the city. And we, we really wanted to stay where we were, uh, but this, this growing love for the city wouldn't allow us to. And I really believe God's love for the city wouldn't allow us to stay. And so in time, God started to, to pave the way for us to, to come out here uh, to Boston to, to start a church. Uh, he sold our house uh, with a cash offer, which let me help you understand, that was a really, really big deal uh, because if a bank was involved, if the, if the buyer had to get a mortgage, it would have had to been appraised and it would have been appraised for a lot cheaper than uh, we were offered uh, with the, the cash offer. And so it was just an amazing thing that God did there. We start finding, looking for apartments in the city. We got an apartment that was about three or $400 a month cheaper than it really, really should have been. Uh, two newspapers featured our family. A, a major um, Boston website featured our family. Just all these things started just clicking. Like God was up to something. Our son got into a really great school. He was a year behind in the Boston Public School Lottery school selection process and got in a great school, and everybody's saying, how, did you have like an inside track or something? And we really, uh, we really, really didn't. Uh, God started to connect us with people uh, in the city that just these relationships were so evident 
that, that he uh, paved the way for those relationships. We saw financial miracle after financial miracle after financial miracle, and I could give you specifics about that, but uh, it just crazy, crazy stuff. I mean, I could go on and on, but, but essentially what we felt like we were seeing was, was God's promise in 1 Thessalonians 5, 24 uh, being fulfilled. And the promise is this. It says, faithful is he who calls you, and he also will bring it to pass. God had, had, had put this calling on my family that became increasingly undeniable, and, and he had a plan, and he was going to bring it uh, to pass. He was, he was fulfilling his calling, and uh, his, his calling was for our good and for the good of the city and for his glory. And what I want for you guys this morning is for you to begin to understand that his calling for us and for the city wasn't just unique to us. I really believe it's, it's for all of us, for wherever we're at, that God has a unique calling. He has you here for a reason. He has you here uh, for the good of the city. And it, it may be that you are here for life like I know that I am, or it may be that you're a college student or somebody else and you know that you're here uh, for a season. Boston is, is a very, very transient city. People are in and out. But, but I want to ask you is. While you're here during the season or for your life, are you really going to seek and to pursue uh, good for the city? And, and tonight's passage for me has really been a helpful guide uh, to just really seeking the good of the city. And I, I really believe that it will be helpful for, for all of us as we uh, consider what it means to, to be a people and to be a church and to be a, a body that, that wants to uh, really pursue good for the city. And so here in, in Jeremiah chapter 29, what we have is, is God, through uh, one of his prophets, Jeremiah, is speaking to his people who are exiled in, in Babylon. And so let's start by just kind of getting a historical uh, setting here. Look at Jeremiah chapter 29, verses 1, 2, and 3, and let's read these. Here's what it says It says, These are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders of the exiles, and to the priests, the prophets, and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. That was after King Jeconiah and the queen mother, the eunuchs, and the officials of Judah and Jerusalem, the craftsmen and the metal workers, had departed from Jerusalem. The letter was sent by hand of Elasa, the son of Shaphan, and Jeremiah, the son of Hilkiah, whom Zedekiah, king of Judah, sent to Babylon, to Nebuchadnezzar, uh, the king of Babylon. We'll stop there. So what we have here is we have uh, the historical setting for chapter 29. Uh, this chapter, this entire chapter, is a letter from the prophet Jeremiah to the Jewish exiles who are now in Babylon. And so these are people who have been deported from their city uh, to Babylon. And, and this letter is written to really encourage these guys who have been uh, deported uh, to, to Babylon. It's to encourage them so that they would, they would read the letter as given and, and, and they would be encouraged that, hey, God has not bailed on us. And, and that's what the letter really seeks to do. Uh, God was punishing his people. You can read the historical uh, background on this. And God is punishing his people, but he's not through with them. God is not through with them. Uh, some of you know the story of Daniel pretty well. Uh, so much more than just Daniel in the lion's den. Uh, what we have with Daniel is a, a young guy who God raises up through this exile, through this deportation, and he raises him up uh, to a position of prominence and, and, and power. 
during his, his 70 years in Babylon, uh, he, he uses him in, in a big way. And look at verse 2 there of, of chapter 29. Uh, it mentions the officials or the, the princes, some other translations will say, of Judah. And that really is what Daniel has been referred to. If you look at Daniel in the, the historical uh, account of his life, Daniel chapter 1 through 7. And so this letter that we're reading here in Jeremiah chapter 29 uh, was, was almost definitely delivered into the hands of this young man recent to this area, Daniel, from this old man, uh, Jeremiah. And so you can imagine Daniel has this letter as a guy who God has risen up at a young age into a position of power and who God uses in Babylon. You can imagine Daniel sharing this with his people uh, who are uh, exiles in this foreign land. And so the letter encouraged them. And it was a very much encouraging. We'll see that in a minute. But another thing that the letter was doing is the letter was setting them straight. It was, it was really focused on giving them uh, the truth. And so look ahead. We're going to skip a little bit and go back. Uh, look ahead to verses 8 through 14. And, and let's see how this letter kind of sets the record straight. Look at, verse, look at verse 8. It says, For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Do not let your prophets and your diviners who are among you deceive you. And do not listen to the dreams that they dream. For it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, declares the Lord. For thus says the Lord, When seventy years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you, and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come to me, Come and pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all of your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. Okay, this is a very important section because what we see here is that there are false prophets among the people, telling the people that they are from God. And the false prophets are telling the people that God says, you're going to be back in Jerusalem soon. I know you're here. I know it's hard. But very, very soon, God says you're going to be back in Jerusalem. But Jeremiah, with this letter, is setting the record straight. He's saying they are lying. Look at verse 10. It says, no, God has you here for 70 years. That's not soon. It's definitely not that's not soon. He says, God has you here for 70 years, but then, then you will re- return home. And what he does then, after, after setting the record straight and telling him it's going to be 70 years, then you return home, what he does is he gives some of the most encouraging words in the Bible. Some of you have been encouraged by these words in your own life. Jeremiah 29, 11, 12, and 13, uh, the famous text that says, I know, I, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. I have plans for prosperity and for hope and a future You will seek me and you will find me when you search for me with all of your heart. And so what Jeremiah is doing is he's delivering bad news. Hey, it's going to be longer than you think. But he's also delivering good news. However, be encouraged. God is not done with you. God will fulfill his promises to you. And so that's what's going on on the front end and the back end of of this text uh, for this morning. But what I want to do is I want to look at our primary verses uh, for today and then for this series, verses 4, 5, 6, and seven. So let's read uh, 4, 5, 6, and 7 if we can. Jeremiah 29, 4. It said, the letter said, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles 
whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile. Pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. All right. So he's saying this. He's saying, listen, you're not going anywhere for a while. You're not going anywhere for a while. And so while you're here in this city for a, a while, what I want for you is this. And he says, here's what I want for you while you're in Babylon. In verses 4, 5, and 6, he says what? He says, I want you to build houses and then move into those houses. He says, I want you to plant gardens, let them grow, then eat of the produce. So make it, make it a, a sustainable place where you're going to be able to eat, to live. He says, I want you to marry. Don't hold off. You'll be holding off your whole life. I want you to marry. I want you to have kids. I want you to let your kids get married and even see your, your kids have kids. And so what is God telling them? He's telling them, I want you to settle in to this city. You're going to be here for a while. Build houses, prepare to eat, and multiply your family. Keep going with life. And then, verse 7, what does he say? Look at it again. We'll read verse 7 one more time. He says, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. And so this is our theme verse uh, for the series. We'll keep it up on the screen for you here. Verse uh, 7. And he calls us to, he calls them to seek the welfare of the city. Now this is crazy news for them, right? Because this city, these people are their, their enemies. And he's saying, seek the welfare of your captors. This is God's call on their life, to, to seek their welfare. The welfare of their, their enemies. Uh, and, and, and if these people are their enemies, we've got to believe that God wants the same thing for us in the city of Boston and the city of Boston is, is not our, our enemy. And so if he wants them to seek the welfare for, for Babylon, we certainly are to seek the welfare of Boston. And, and also, as he says here, to pray for the city. And so, I don't know, I want to ask you guys, well, seriously, when is the last time that you prayed for something other than your health or your heart or somebody else's health or somebody else's issue? When, when's the last time you just prayed specifically for this city? When's the last time you prayed specifically for this neighborhood and the next neighborhood over and the surrounding neighborhoods, Jamaica Plain, Rosendale, Brookline, West Roxbury, Hyde Park? When's, when's the last time you prayed for an organization, specifically an organization that's doing good in the city? It says pray on behalf of, of that city. Pray for them. Pray for them. And this is a big thing. He's saying pray for your enemies, for these guys. So for us, we're certainly expected as well to pray for our city. Now, I want you to notice that in the Hebrew, original Hebrew language here, uh, the word for welfare, we see this word welfare in verse 7, the word is, is, is shalom. When we hear this word shalom, we often think peace, right? We think peace, man, shalom. We think it's like a, a hip way for, you know, for Christian hipsters to, to say goodbye to each other. Uh, like shalom, hey, the absence of, of conflict. See you later, brother. Now, shalom here is, is a very rich, kind of robust word that really speaks to more than just peace. It does speak to peace, but it, it really speaks to just general human uh, flourishing. 
And so God is asking them for much more than just, hey, while you're here, just get along with the Babylonians. He's saying it's more than just get along with the Babylonians. He's, he's, he's saying it's more than just, hey, be kind to all people. I, I get tired of Christians talking about, you know, like I'm, I'm kind to people, right? That's, 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 that's a big thing for me. I, I smiled at my neighbor today. I, I was real nice to a coworker, and they just kind of pat themselves on the back like, hey, I did my duty. No, so much more than just be kind to people, right? He's saying biblical shalom here is really speaking to invest yourself into this city. Uh, really support and, and propel uh, peace and prosperity in life and hope and love and joy for this city. That we are to develop biblical shalom in every inch of just society, the cultural fabric. We're, we're to really seek biblical uh, shalom. And so what I've seen uh, as churches uh, seek to bring welfare or shalom to their cities is, is, is I've seen churches kind of take different avenues to do that. I, I was recently reading a book uh, called For the City by uh, guys named Carter and Patrick, and, and they point out four approaches that churches will take uh, to really help their city. And uh, th- let, me, let me just kind of give you these four approaches because I think they really do speak to uh, much, and I think uh, it'll really help us to, to think through who we want to be. The, the first approach they speak to is uh, church in the city talk about church in the city. And so this is a church that is in the city, and they say, well, we are in the city, and so I hope that's enough. I would be like my wife and I saying, well, we moved to Roslindale, and now we're officially in the city limits, and let's just do it, and let's just have church and hope that's enough. In other words, their idea is that, hey, geographically being inside the city is, is, is really seeking the welfare of the city. It's kind of like that movie, Field of Dreams. You've heard of it, Field of Dreams? Yeah, the whole, if you build it, they will come mentality, right? Let's, let's hold church, they will come, we are in the city. And so what happens is the big push for this kind of approach, this kind of church is, you know what, let's, just, let's do programs inside the building, let's hope people come, let's invite people to come here. And, and so the heart is there. We want to serve the masses, we want to serve the whole city. Uh, and, and, and what ends up happening is just being a church in the city means that you're just going to attract churchy people. You know what I'm talking about? And, hey, I'm one of them. I grew up in the church. I'm a churchy kind of person. And, and so what we do is we attract just churchy people, people who are, I'm looking for a church or I'm looking to participate in the church. And so what happens is just, just by being a church in the city, you uh, attract people who are looking for a church. And so what happens is you become really physically in the city, but not really engaged in the city. And so that's, that's church in the city. Another common approach that they point to is, is what they call church against the city. And so church against the city is, yeah, now we're, we're in the city, but what happens is because the city can be kind of tough on a young family, city can, can, can kind of be tough on, on people who are not strong on the Lord. And so what this kind of church, church against the city, says is we're in the city because we probably should be in the city, but now... It's hard. It's really challenging. And so the church in the city is the church that has clenched fists, and they're, they're, they're kind of in defense mode. They're blocking, they're punching, and they're, they're, they're in the city, but they're, they're against the city. And they're, they're the ones who are kind of fighting the fight. They're, they're the ones who are kind of like, hey, culture wars is what we're all about. Absolutely hate that term, by the way. And they're physically in the city, but they're against everything uh, in the city. And they, they look around the city and everything is somehow un, untouchable. So for them, art is bad. 
For them, media is bad. Music is bad. Science is bad. Church is good. That's, that's, that's church against the city. And, and, and they'll take Romans chapter 12, verse 9, and, 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 and say, well, it says, hate evil, cling to what is good. We're clinging to what is good, and we're fighting evil, right? And, and there are good intentions for holiness here. But what we need to do is we need to be very careful that we don't just, as a church, develop us versus them kind of mentality. Us versus them, church against the city. And so what we have to do, be very careful, Romans chapter 12, 9, is we, we need to pray and to, to exercise discernment as to what are we to involve ourselves in and, and what are we to be, uh, you know, maybe not involving ourselves in. How can we serve the city but yet not be us and them? How can we stand up for holiness but not be us and them? That's, that's church against the city. We don't want to be that. Next approach these guys point out is, is church of the city. And so what church of the city, these kind of churches will do, is, is rather than, than taking the antagonistic approach against the city, is they'll seek to swing the pendulum all the way to the other side and say, we don't want to be against the city. And so what happens is we'll, we'll, we'll swing the pendulum all the way over here and we'll be for everything that's in this. Everything about the city, that is good and we're all about it. And so if it's in the city, that's us, Right? Everything's good, everything's okay, convictions are out the window, and, and they forget that Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, uh, he, he says, listen, you are the salt of the earth, right? And so when you become a, a church of the city, you lose your saltiness, right? You lose your, your flavor, you lose your uh, distinctiveness. In, in John chapter 15, uh, Jesus says of his followers, he says, they are not of the world. Romans chapter 12, verse 2 says, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. And so we can't become the kind of church that says, well, we don't want to be us versus them, and so we'll be them entirely. That's, that's just who we're going to be. And then we lose the distinctiveness of believers. As you read through the Old Testament, uh, through the historical books and through the prophets, uh, what you'll see is, is Israel struggled with this time and time and time again, didn't they? They'd go into a city, and oftentimes very quickly they'd become a church of the city, right? They'd be right there, and they would just get into whatever they're into uh, with no regard for the Lord. And they'd forget Genesis chapter 12, Exodus chapter 19. They're calling to be a kingdom of priests, right? To stand out, to be unique. And so we are to be distinct and not just a church of the city and just kind of do everything that they do, and then what we become is just a social club, right? With no convictions. And so what then? We don't want to be uh, a church of the city, we don't want to be a church against the city, we don't want to just be a church, that, well, we're in the city, doesn't that count? So what are we to be? The last one is this, we want to be a, a church for the city. We want to be a church for the city. And so unlike the, the other previous approaches, we don't want to just kind of hunker down and be in the city and just kind of hope they come to us, field of dreams. We, we don't want to just kind of have this defense posture where we're fighting all the time. We, we also don't want to just throw our conviction to the wind and just kind of whatever goes and lose our distinctiveness. What God is calling us to be is a, a church for the city. That we're not just going to kind of hide behind these walls, but instead what we want to do is we want to in, engage the culture. We have been sent into this city. If you look again at verses 4 and 7, Jeremiah 29, he, he sent them to Babylon, right? He sent them there, and so we are here 
not to just be here and hide, but to actually be here and to engage. We're going to seek the welfare of the city. We want to be all about the the glory of God and the good of, of the people that he puts into our lives and really seek the general flourishing of the city. That we want to be all that God has called us to be and nothing less, according to the scriptures. We want to live out our convictions. We want to be fully convinced that Jesus Christ is Lord and that we must put faith in him. We want to be a people who are our change. We want to be all that God has called us to be in the city and we want to, 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 to bless the city and to serve the city and to be all about the, the good of the city. That, that while we're flourishing in, our, in and of ourselves as a community in the city, that, that we are changed, we are loving, we are sacrificial, we are gifted. We are all that God has called us to be in the, the city. Uh, we're, we're, we're serving other people. That if we really are the salt of the earth, uh, we, we have flavor, we're distinct. But also what salt does is salt preserves, doesn't it? Salt is used as a, a preservative. Some of you have been to third world countries where they're not using refrigerators, but they're packing things in ice or uh, packing them in, in, in salt, and, and salt serves as a preservative. Likewise, as salt of the earth, we add flavor. We're distinct, but we also serve for the preservation. We serve for the well-being and the peace of the, the city, right? Now, what I want us to also notice is that this shalom that we're talking about here, the, the peace and prosperity, is not shalom, peace, apart from God. It's not shalom without Jesus, who is, Scripture says, the, the Prince of Peace. But this is shalom in Jesus. This is us having that peace in ourselves inwardly and then carrying that shalom into the city, engaging the city, and, and being agents of, of peace and biblical shalom. In our city, I've been really, really encouraged uh, this summer. We we have really seen God do some really cool things in our uh, community. I've been really encouraged by you guys and your involvement and your engagement in the community. I was thinking back uh, through uh, just what has happened, taken place just this summer alone. We provided two movies in the park. We provided uh, uh, kids activities for three farmers markets and and three of the Rosendale summer strolls. We've hosted a kids' camp. We've hosted two teen game nights in the apartment complex. We've uh, staffed a summer program for three weeks straight. We've served 400 meals. I mean, there's a little taste of shalom, right? There's a little taste of peace and flourishing and prosperity uh, for our city, for our neighborhood. I remember being at uh, our movies in the park this past summer, and it's kind of crazy on the front end of things. As you guys who volunteered, you know it's just wild at the front end of things. But finally, when the movie starts, you can kind of settle down and breathe. And I remember the movies have started first. I think it was, well, there was the Lorax, and there was, what was the other movie? Yes, that one, Puss in Boots. And so I remember when those movies started, just finally able to breathe. Things are rolling. Everything's good. People are sitting down. I'm just kind of looking around and looking into the field and just listening to people laughing and looking at the field and seeing there are people with different skin colors, different economic and social backgrounds that otherwise probably wouldn't be hanging out together. And here they are hanging out on this field, laughing together. And, and just, a, just a taste, just a taste uh, of, of shalom in our community. It's a beautiful thing. This summer I also had several people uh, along the way say things um, that I just made it a point to just kind of make a mental note of some of the things that people said uh, throughout the course of the, the summer because I knew 
uh, not to toot our horn, but really I knew it would be an encouragement uh, to you guys. I, I heard uh, one person say, hey, I saw what you guys were doing from across the field, and I had to come over here um, because I th- said, this has got to be, this is, this, is the, this is the real thing. I heard somebody say, hey, uh, and they come to me because a lot of people know that I'm, I'm the pastor, and so I had somebody come up to me and say, hey, I uh, just want to let you know, I, I disagree with uh, just about everything your church stands for, <laughs> but uh, I certainly want to participate in all this stuff. Thanks so much for doing it. I heard somebody say, I heard somebody say, is this for real? Like, is this for real? Why would you want to hang out in this neighborhood? Really? It was really a cool thing. I heard another person say, I I love what you're doing for the community. I've never seen a church that's actually inside of a community. And I said, well, that's it right there. That just kind of summed it up uh, for me. I heard one guy uh, this past week really encouraging said, listen, hey, you guys don't give up on me. That was a really cool statement. Don't give up on me. I uh, heard a social worker uh, just this week also for the third time say this to me. A uh, social worker at the apartment complex said, hey, our, uh, our contract runs out in March. And at that point, it's all on the church. We're going to be out of this apartment complex in March. And at that point, it's all on the church. Now, every time she has said this to me, I freak out and think, are you serious? <laughs> it's all on the, on the church. It just kind of scares the life out of me. But then I think about the welfare of the city, that we are to serve the widow and the orphan. That's, that's true uh, religion. Horrifies me, but isn't that what we're supposed to be about? Isn't that the business that we're supposed to be about? And so, as a church, we've kind of only, only scratched the surface. We've, we've really just begun. Uh, in October, we celebrate two years as a new church in this uh, community. And uh, it's, it's only just the beginning for us. I want to remind you, though, that in verses 5 and 6, uh, remember how uh, God put it uh, through Jeremiah to the people of Israel. What does he say? He says, I want you to do this. I want you to, to build houses. I want you to move into those houses. So I want you to plant gardens, and I want you to eat of the gardens. I want you to marry, and I want you to have kids. I want you to even see your kids get married and, and have kids. My wife and I have built a house before. It takes a long time. Almost always, from everybody I've ever talked to who's built a house, takes a lot longer than expected. Uh, my wife and I have uh, tried to plant a garden uh, and didn't see a lot of the fruit. Uh, but the people who moved in behind us are seeing some fruit this summer, I hear. So uh, hopefully that's the fruit of our labor. I don't know. I'll take credit for it. Uh, we have three kids. And uh, when you're expecting a baby, it feels like that baby's never, ever going to get here. You're just dying for that baby to come out. Um, it's a lot of waiting. It's a lot of waiting. Understand that shalom in the city is not an overnight thing. Shalom in the city requires work, and it requires longevity. And so we have, as a church, we've only, only scratched the surface. But we're, we are already seeing God do big things. I was reflecting back uh, last night just on when that apartment complex was completely flat. In other words, they demolished um, the old buildings, and we're about to rebuild the new buildings, I was reflecting on going over there and just praying, God, would you allow us to serve this place? When it's built, would you allow us to serve this place? And just feeling like, they still got to build this place. It's going to be forever. And here we are two years later. We have a Bible study going in the complex. We have a kids ministry going in the complex. We're about to start a teenage small group in the complex. We're about to have an office in the complex. Uh, they call us for counseling in the complex. 
It's an amazing, amazing thing that God has done there. And so what seems like forever isn't quite 70 years. It's only been two years. And so we pray for these neighborhoods. We pray for this city. We, we seek and pursue a shalom and see God answer in, in time. But it takes, it takes time. And so we press on. And we don't give up. This is not flashbang kind of church planting, is it? This is, we're going to plant a healthy church. We're going to press on. We're going to do what God has called us to do. And we're going to see him um, fulfill uh, the vision that he has put in our hearts <clears throat> in this city that he has sent us. So I want to close with a couple of questions. First one is this. Will you join us in seeking the good of the city? I had a buddy on the, on the North Shore of Boston. <clears throat> they're about 10 years into it, and they're starting to see some powerful stuff happen. And uh, they, they started a church 10 years ago. He just said, here's what we're going to do, church. We're going to wipe the church membership. Nobody's a member anymore. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to ask you to re-sign membership, but here's what we want you to do. We want you to commit to 10 years. I thought, <laughs> that's a lot. You're going to ask people to commit to 10 years to give their life to the church? I could never do that. But here's what I do want to ask you to do. I want to ask you to do this. I want to ask you to commit to the good of the city while you're here, whether it's for a lifetime, whether it's for a season. As college students, and we have a lot of college students here today because we're having our college cookout, as college students, we're always focused on ahead. Next semester, next class, that test that's coming, at the end of these four years, I'm going to do this with my life, with everything I've learned. And we always have this mentality of life starts then, but life starts now. A lot of times we think, well, when I'm out of college, life will get a lot easier, and I have more time. I remember, I have a lot of time on my hands. I want to have these late nights. There's this thing called marriage. There's this thing called babies. There's this thing called work on top of all of that. And so, listen, if you can't live for the city now, you'll never live for the city. If you can't live for the welfare of other people in the midst of whatever it is, not just students, whatever it is you're doing now, It will never happen because life does not tend to move towards ease. It moves towards craziness and busyness. And so I want to encourage you to join us as we seek to serve the city well now. I want to ask you to join us in the work. I want to ask you, as Dan called us, to to join us in in prayer on behalf of the city, on behalf of these neighborhoods, on behalf of uh, these organizations. I want to ask you to, to take initiative to write letters to these organizations. And I want to ask you to be serious about, about seeking the, the shalom, the prosperity of the, the city and really work for the peace of the city. And the last thing I want to ask you all is this, is that are you personally at peace with God? I'm talking about being agents and, and, and people who will usher peace into this city, into this neighborhood, but are you personally at peace within your own heart uh, with the Lord? You've got to understand and remember that we have been made by him for relationship with him. But the scripture makes it clear that we've all sinned against him. I, I think that's kind of hard to, to argue that we've sinned against God. And in our sin against God, we have separated ourselves from the one who has given us life and given us breath. And so we are no longer at peace with God because of our sin. But listen to, to Romans chapter 5 verse 1. It says this, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus. And so listen, let's be very careful to not be a church that seeks to usher in shalom and peace to our city when we don't have it ourselves, when we're not justified by faith 
at peace with God through Jesus, who walked this earth, was sinless, so he didn't deserve to die, but he lovingly, willingly, sacrificially laid down his life on our behalf and died a brutal death on the cross, resurrected to life so that if we would trust in him, as the scripture says, that we would have peace with God through Jesus. And so I have to ask all of you every single week, are you at peace with God through Jesus? Have you trusted in Jesus to make you right? And if so, praise God for that. If not, you have to ask yourself the question, what do I do with Jesus? Do I reject him? Do I accept him? Or do I explore him because the claims of Christ are too big to just put on the back burner? And so ask yourself these questions, and I'll pray. Father, Father, thank you for uh, these scriptures. Lord, thank you for all that you're, you're doing among us. We pray for, for greater things in this city. God, we pray for uh, true uh, biblical shalom to be ushered in. Lord, that first we would, we would be made right with you through Jesus. And that we would then engage into our city. Lord, and, and we would see uh, peace and prosperity and, and general human flourishing take place. God, I pray that that would lead to flourishing with Jesus. We pray that that our our, our community would know the Lord Jesus, would trust in him alone and be made right with him. God, if there's anybody in here who doesn't know Jesus, Lord, do your work in their hearts. Stir them, Father. God, we thank you so much for uh, this morning. We thank you for our time together. Lord, we thank you uh, for the chance to, to gather and to worship you, Lord. We praise you, God. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen.